Well, Zach, it's Christmas time. Merry Christmas, Cooper. Merry Christmas. To it's you the as well. week of. I mean, the big day. It's exciting, and the closer Christmas gets, you know, you know how I get, Zach. Yeah, t- talk to me. Internally frustrated and turmoil, just <laughs> within my soul. That you're an anomaly. I yeah, would say. But, well. Zach, I'm kidding. I actually love oh, Christmas. I Christmas brings me so much joy. It's my favorite day of the year. I still, I'm 22 years old, folks. Mm-hmm. I will still have trouble falling asleep on Christmas Eve. Totally. I, w- I just, I can't. It's so exciting. It's so exciting. It's not even like you get the cool toys anymore. No, it's just I love the day. It's just the best day. It's just it's Christmas. Internally, I wake up and my soul is screaming, it's Christmas. <laughs> I don't even like malls that much. But like, you just want right. to go to a mall right now? You just want to go to a mall and walk around and see all the decorations. That's right. It's the best. But speaking of decorations, actually, that is a just almost you'd think it was planned, but it wasn't segue. <laughs> uh, you're folks, welcome. Because like I was talking about, there is something about Christmas that just grinds my gears. OK, talk to me. Uh it has to do with decorations. Yeah. And some of you, as I'm talking, you're going to look out in your yard and you're going to see this happening. And I do not see you as any less valuable. <laughs> I just want that to be very clear. Yes. But if you wrap your tree mm. and you stop at the trunk. If, if you stop. It where, looks horrendous. Yeah. If you stop where we know you couldn't reach any higher. Or even if it's just like you only had one strand of lights. Yeah. I mean, literally lay them in the grass <laughs> instead of wrapping that dumb trunk. <laughs> Zach, I'm being harsh here. I can t- and I'm just, I just have, I've seen, I've passed by too many houses yeah. that have glowing. It's one thing to have it white. It's a whole other thing to have a dumb color like blue. <laughs> yes. I drove past a house last night with purple and orange. Why? It's not Halloween. I know. It's just red and green are your only options. Know your place. Know your place. And I again, I'm not mad at you. <laughs> People. I wish all the listeners could see Cooper's face. I'm not. <laughs> I just, um, I want what's best for you. I want what's best for society, and that's for you and to use not non-colored, it. just traditional lights, and you to go or all a red out. red and white combo. Yeah, yes. Tasteful, and please. Wrap the whole tree, Zach. It's just, when you see, it's like, why you wouldn't wrap, you don't want it to be a pole in your yard. Yeah. But when you lights go up, it's because the darkness is out, so you can't see anything except mm-hmm. for what's lit, and I see just a thick, beefy pole <laughs> in your yard. <laughs> you know what it reminds me of? Have you ever seen Spy Kids? I have. The thumb? Yes. The thumb, I guys? I drove by one last night. We were driving through Dallas and looking at Christmas lights. It was really fun. If you don't do that, it's actually a blast. It wasn't Zach and I. It was um, no, Zach yeah, and his wife. That's right. Yeah. But just to clarify. <laughs> <laughs> there were probably six or seven trees in a front yard where only the base was oh, wrapped. Oh, gosh. Just and it pole just farm. looked like. <laughs> just had a pole farm. <laughs> no, it looked like just a herd of thumbs running towards me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's. Uh, one day I want to be a homeowner and have a tree and wrap that beast to the stars. <laughs> Which also, it's in hindsight, we both live in apartments. We don't have trees right. to wrap. I don't, but leave your tree unwrapped. It's either, yeah. it's, don't quit halfway, folks. And your identity is not found in how good your trees look. And so I would advise you, no matter how good the neighbor's yard is wrapped, how well their house looks with the, the lights, leaving your lights off is better than only wrapping the trunk. That's true. That's true. But sometimes less is more. Just a nice yeah. border. Yeah. But, Zach, there's a tree by my parents' house back in Flyer Mound. Shout out, Mom and Dad. Shout out, Flo Mo. Just the support system I've needed raised me. Amen. But there's a house, and, I mean, you drive by a tree that is, like, 
I mean, has to be five stories high. Like okay. this sucker is big, massive. Big tree. Big tree. And as your gaze follows the trunk, I mean, nothing but a smile breaks across your face <laughs> because you see the lights continue up. Yeah. I mean, the entire tree is wrapped mm. to the to like I said to the every, stars. You think every limb? I is mean, covered? it's close. If not every limb, it's like a couple of tiny branches aren't aren't wrapped. That's commitment. That's the commitment we need. It's right. Except here's the problem: is they picked. A horrible strand of lights. Oh, don't tell me. They picked, and maybe this is because it was going to shine through their windows and be too bright, but it's like, it's just multicolor. Oh. Just, it's like RGB, like red, green, blue. And it's like, dude. No! No! Zach, you don't do that. I know. It's okay, man. I can't it's, believe it's that. okay. I know. It's horrible. It, it they ha- also hung a cross randomly in it, which is like, I love that. The cross is represented, yeah. but was it's it's a it's a white light cross. Put, put a nativity. It I just is like they it's still beautiful. It's I'd rather that than right. I mean, right. gosh, don't give me a wrapped trunk, please. <laughs> but yeah, the wrapped trunk. I mean, the stuff. studio walls are just still quaking after you were frustrated there, Zach. Oh, yeah, sorry guys, sorry Monica, get back to work. <laughs> so faithful. Yeah, but I don't like multicolored lights. Mm-hmm. I like just the traditional. But they're like kind of cream. They're color. warming. They're warming. Warming. Inviting. Colors. Yes. Just I like. Do, I also do not like LED. Mm. Have you driven by those houses? Yes. LED. You just feel like you're you're going. If they're shock, too bright, yeah, way too bright. It's, they have I mean, to be the kind. Like I'm looking at our tree. Those are good lights. Mm-hmm. And they're just, good. Oh, it's good stuff. Just the the warmth brings you in. Right. It's, and that's what Christmas is all about. <laughs> that's that's. It's about the lights, folks. Yeah. And a, the light who's come. Welcome to the Next Generation Leader Podcast, where we believe great leaders are listeners, especially during their youth. Good leaders learn from their successes and mistakes, but great leaders learn from the successes and mistakes of those who go before them. I'm your host, Zach Funderburg, here with my co-host, Cooper McCullough. The trunk-wrapped tree hater, self-proclaimed. It's me, folks. <laughs> Welcome. It's you know what I should do is start writing reviews on how people decorate their house <laughs> and leave it, and their leave it in their mailbox. Yeah, and just say, like hey, a, a Yelp review. Just so you know, your trees look horrible. And here's the deal. I've said horrible a lot, and I've said a lot of harsh words. You have. I, again, I'm not mad at you. You're not. I just want you to be better, folks. <laughs> just be if better. you're a trunk wrapper, think think twice, and then think again if you still think it's good. No. Keep thinking. Just moral of the story, be better. Be better. And speaking of being better. Oh, I like where this is going. We've got... An interview with Santa Claus <laughs> for Christmas, right, Zach? That would be awesome. Monica couldn't get it. In she this couldn't. Year. She now nah, maybe next year. But we do have a fantastic episode. Okay, fantastic. It's with my good friend Lindsay Speed. Does she have a white beard? <laughs> she does not. Okay, okay, okay. I'll Lindsay, get over it. It's not okay. Santa. It's not Santa Claus. Okay, okay. Lindsay Speed is the executive director of Traffic Nine One One here in Dallas, Texas. Mm. Uh, it's an organization that's doing incredible things. Here's their vision: communities free from relational brokenness. Here's their mission, Coop. To free youth from sex trafficking through trust-based relationships. Now, I think when a lot of people think of sex trafficking, you think of people being smuggled over the border right. uh, and sold into sex slavery. And that's not always the case. Where that is true in some places, it's not always the case. But there is sex trafficking and there's exploiting of vulnerable children and young people right here in Dallas Texas, yeah. that need help. And so that's why we brought uh, her on. And she – I will give a warning to – to parents or, or younger listeners out there that she goes into detail because she talked about the first time that she heard about this organization, what they were doing and why the mission, why they were going on the mission they were going on. And she said the information was things I could not unknow. 
Yeah. And it was something that I knew and I couldn't not do something about. And I said, I said to her, I was like, Lindsay, I want you to tell us the stuff that you heard that right. we can't unknow because we need to hear that so we can know and we can do something about it. And one of her, uh, her quotes and her mission is <clears throat> free people, free people. Right. And uh, when you have been given the gift of freedom and, and even to know what it's like to live with Jesus Christ yeah. is that you have no other higher obligation but then to go tell people and to free people from the right. bondage of sin. And, and so that's what they do. Their goal is to, to free these, these people through hope, through compassion, through integrity, uh, through justice and excellence. And uh, their hope is to, to be, bring a brighter future for so many kids whose future would not go there without the help of this organization. So she talks about that and how we can be a part of it in Dallas. I mean, they're, they're an amazing organization. I'm so excited to share this interview with all of you. Yeah, again, be wise if you're a younger listener. And make good choices. We don't want anything to be harmful that comes from this right. podcast, but we also don't want to censor what's happening in the real world right. to those of you that are listening. So this is real stuff. It's hard to hear, mm -hmm. but it's happening in the world right. today, in the Dallas area. Yeah. Today. Just like people are hanging their lights just on the bottom of trees. Right. It's happening right, right under right. our noses. A little, I'll say different weight <laughs> towards all of these things, but... Yes. But we're still going to say something about it. We're going to stand up and do something about it. That's why we want to talk about it on this podcast. We're not going to shy away from hard topics, but we want to warn you that it's graphic and that it is sensitive, but it's something you cannot unknow and you cannot not do something about. That's right. So without further ado, here she is, Lindsay Speed. Okay. Well, hey, Lindsay, it's very nice to meet you. It's very good to see you. I'm so excited uh, to get to talk with you and ask you a few questions, but I want to start by letting you introduce yourself. Who are you? How do you get to where you are and, and what's your role? What are you up to today? Yeah, sure. So my name is Lindsay Speed and uh, I am the executive director at Traffic 911. And we actually office out of a private airport, not on purpose. We don't fly around everywhere, but it's just the <laughs> office space we have. So if you hear buzzing in the background, it's because there's a plane back there. I love but, that. Um, Might be Lindsay's yeah, private cool. jet flying in. Is what yeah, I yeah. There's nothing super cool about that. I wish I was on one, but I'm not. <laughs> um, anyways, yeah. So Lindsay is the executive executive director here. And, um, I, I am, I would say I'm just a girl who turned into a woman who just kept saying yes. And, um, and I would say, I, I feel like sometimes I'm the, the, you know, quote that you maybe hear a lot that, that goes something like God qualifies the call. He doesn't call the qualified. Right. And I feel like that's been the, the story of a lot of my life, especially the last 10 years is, um, yeah, just that part. And do you want to, do you want me to share about how I got to traffic 911? Of course. I want to hear all the things you said yes to that led up to where you are now. So 10 years, actually this month is my 10 years um, where I said yes to traffic 911. And it really is this, this story of um, you can't make this stuff up. You know, I, I didn't plan to be here and uh, I have a degree in horticulture, which most people don't even know what it is. I'm sure it's flowers is flowers and plants. Flowers, are yes. <laughs> and, um, and so nothing makes sense, you know, except the Lord just makes sense of things. And so so I uh, graduated from Texas A&M and uh, ended up in the corporate world after college for about six years in corporate marketing. And 
a friend of mine just randomly had mentioned like, hey, I think you should come meet this lady with me. I just started learning about the kind of some social justice issues, including trafficking globally. And um, it was it was one of those things, though, that it was never on my radar. I mean, I had done some mission trips. I really care. I love caring for people, but it wasn't necessarily on my radar kind of for a living, you know, and um, and so. I met this woman at Starbucks at North Park Mall and just sat down and, and who would then become my mentor. And she just started explaining to me what was going on with sex trafficking here locally. And it was just something that marked me. I was like, I can't unknow this information. I remember going home <laughs> that night and calling my mom. And I was like, I can't unknow this. Like, I right. wish I could unknow this, but I can't. And, um, and that was kind of how my journey began. I, I, I started volunteering and we were just this grassroots group of volunteers at that point, no staff. I mean, just, I just had been founded a year ago and just trying to get off the ground. And I'm like, I'm here to help whatever I can do. Right. I, and so that was my first yes was just like, I'm going to say yes to this, you know, and, and help however I can. And lo and behold, here I am 10 years later running the organization. And, and I really do think it was this series of yeses where, um, gosh, a couple years after I joined as a volunteer, we had some funding that allowed me the potential opportunity to quit my job in the corporate world and come on full time. And it was, I mean, it was a risk because I had a really great, I had a great gig in the corporate world. Um, it was starting to take off my, my job there. And, um, I would be saying yes to something that has no potential to, well, every potential to potentially like just crash in a year or two. Cause we didn't have right. money for the next five years. We had like money for the next year. Right. And I'm like, dang, I want to do this so bad. And I, I prayed about it and fasted about it. And God was just like, yeah. And so that year that was 2012 was when I actually like quit my job. And that was kind of that next guess of like, all right, here we go. Let's do this. Even though I didn't have, you know, necessarily the skills or I mean, I had been there a couple of years learning, been here learning and, and things, but it was just, um, I don't know. It was just cool. And I think through the years, probably, probably what's been the most impactful for me is learning my own story of why. And I think this is where I'll talk about free people later, but it's just, I struggled so hard with like, why me? I don't, you know, like I've never been just, I, I was this shy middle kid. Um, and was never probably one of those that was like picked out to be a leader. I don't right. think that that was really what people would have, would have seen me as because I was a little bit more shy and reserved. And, and so it wasn't until probably like five years ago, I started going to counseling and cause I wanted to like, I didn't, I didn't experience trafficking. I'm not a survivor. Like right. God, why did you choose me for this? And as I went to counseling, I started kind of uncovering parts of my own story and my own childhood that started to make sense of things. And part of a piece of my story is just that I experienced a lot of, um, emotional and verbal abuse growing up um, in our home. And what was hard for me was always not even that it was happening to me, but like watching it happen like to my little brother and to my mom. And I think what that developed in me was this like justice gene. Like I was the shy kid, but inside I'm like, this isn't right. People should be treated well. And so looking back now, all these years, I think what I've learned is had that not happened, like those weren't good things that happened in my childhood, but it created this part of me that 
had I not had that, I really don't think I would have be, I would be here right now. Right. And so it's just kind of cool to see what, you know, how God uses our stories to develop, um, our own story for the future. So mm-hmm. yeah. he always does abundantly more than we could ever think or imagine. Right. I love, it's, it's such a wonderful story. But before we get into the trafficking side, I kind of want to ask another question about your specific story. And, and something you said in there was that you were, you would, you were the middle child, I guess, not always picked out to be a leader. So kind of mm-hmm. what did that process look like for you to blossom into? I, I am a leader and I can lead. What, what did that realization look like for you? Yeah. <sighs> It was a process. And I think it still is a process. It's right. that it's that um, mind game that we do with ourselves to say, you know, no, um, I don't think these are my qualities. Yet I kept getting put in situations where I need to boss up, you know, like right. we, we use this phrase boss up at the office. Like I need to boss up. And so what's funny, too, is like definitely probably right around college time, I um I was fascinated with leadership. Like I read books on it. I mean, before I was really even a leader, um, I was sort of fascinated with it. So I I learned a lot about it um, in my younger years that I think helped me. I don't know. It kind of helped build that. And it was definitely just over time and trust that, man, okay, God, like if you if you're putting me in these positions, apparently you trust me to lead, even though I am the, sometimes I feel the least qualified, you know, in situations, but I think it's that this gradual day by day trust that if I'm here, I'm here for a reason and I'm going to give it my all and just be real. You know, like I think I've learned a lot just about how like being a leader is really just being real. Um, people would rather follow that kind of leader. And so I think that's taken the pressure off of me of like, okay, I can be myself and, um, I'm just going to be real. And yeah. Yeah. I love that. And there's always the quote we go back to is that people would rather follow a leader who's always real rather than one who's always right. And uh, it's so important. Yes. Okay, good. That's great. So want to move into traffic. Uh, what y'all do at Traffic 911. I want to read a quote from from y'all's website, something that Rachel actually sent me uh, from that. It says, misconceptions make the most invisible people in our communities more invisible. Victims need us to understand their story so we can advocate for them and the most effective solutions. While it's true that anyone can be a target for trafficking, it's a grievous misconception to believe that women being kidnapped and smuggled across borders is the most common trafficking situation in the U.S. So kind of what is trafficking to you in the Dallas, the DFW area, but what are those misconceptions? What is the truth about trafficking? One of my favorite phrases I'll say is that trafficking is the exploitation of vulnerability. Mm. And I think that that's what starts to give it a little bit more color than what will sometimes sort of zone in on, oh, it looks exactly like this, or it looks exactly like this, or a victim looks exactly like this. Well, um, in 10 years, what I've learned is there there's a lot of different stories and a lot of different scenarios um, from how maybe uh, someone gets lured into this life. But the reality is there was a vulnerability that was exploited that began this whole thing. And so, um, yeah, I think that that's important to know because a lot of the messaging out there might say, you know, oh, it's this this small little white girl 
uh, kept in a cage in a basement being trafficked or something like that. And that's not the stories we see. And so if we're talking about now, there are some extreme stories are a little bit um, anomalies, especially here in the U.S., a lot of extreme stuff overseas. But here in the U.S. and here in DFW, what we see is it's our vulnerable kids, vulnerable youth. Um, the average kid that we serve uh, that comes into our program is age 15. And so, you know, it's 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 a it's a vulnerable youth. It's foster kids. It's homeless kids. It's it's um, marginalized populations. And so I think that that's important to know, because I think. Yeah, the sex trafficking word is really sexy right now, and so right. and so are certain stories that are attached to it. And I think that's why we talk about, dang, these misconceptions are making the kids we serve even more invisible. Because right. if you're looking for chains or you're looking for a victim to cry for help or a certain thing, um, you're not going to find it, and you're going to miss these kids. You know, you're going to miss the youth that we work with, and so. So it's important. It's kind of like any other issue. Like we've got to encourage our community to learn about this, to read. It's like any other issue. Like you can't just hop up and be like, oh, okay, you know, this is trafficking and everyone should know. It's like, go, go do your homework, you know, and because our, our kids and our youth and our survivors deserve that. They deserve us as the community to fully understand so that we can come up with the best solutions. And I think that's so important for people to know and be informed about what it really looks like, especially when it's right beside them so that they can know how to spot it and know what to do about it. So talk about what y'all do specifically, because I don't, I don't think if I, if I know correctly, you guys aren't on the front lines, just breaking down doors and saving children, which no. I'm sure you yeah. would do, but what does y'all's program look like? Yeah, no, that's another good misconception to just bring up is that, you know, if you're in other countries, then yeah, there's not a lot of laws or, or policy around like, you can't just maybe just go rescue a kid. And there's right. some social media out there that kind of talks about that. Here in the U.S., there are systems in place. There are law enforcement in place to do this job. And so what we do is we come alongside them and stay in our lane. And so what our lane looks like is building trust-based relationships with survivors. That's that's kind of our, our big how. How that looks kind of uh, played out is we have a team that does 24-7 crisis response. And, uh, and that's a team of advocates, um, paid professionals here on our team. And so when law enforcement recovers a, a child under the age of 18 who's been trafficked, one of our team gets called and we respond within six to wherever they are. And we bring a backpack. I'm just here for you. I'm not law enforcement. I don't have a badge. I'm not, I'm just going to be here for you and whatever you need. And so our goal is to bu start building that trust right at the onset of recovery and then continue a long-term trust-based relationship. And so the team of advocates um, begins advocating for that kid and, and what, what they need, assessing their safety, assessing their home, um, is their treatment needed, and um, just building that relationship and doing a lot of case management with that case and partnering with a lot of other systems and, and partners across the community. And then we have this amazing leg um, of our community who are volunteer mentors who come along alongside our, uh, our survivors as they stabilize. And it's, it's sort of like our model of like, okay, these are our community's kids. How do we engage the community in serving and this family and this survivor? And so we have hand-picked, um, hand-selected volunteers, mentors who come alongside the kids and 
Right now we're serving um, 178 uh, survivors. And so um, on any given week, there's there's almost 100 being served on some in some way, shape, or form by our team here in the DFW area. So in a nutshell, that's what we do. There's a lot yeah. of other kind of systemic things we do and trainings, but as far as serving the survivors, that's what it looks like. Oh, that's so, I mean, it's just an amazing ministry and amazing organization that you get to do. And you mentioned at the beginning, and I, I want people to understand, if you're listening to this, to understand what uh, what trafficking is and what the truth about it is around, especially the DFW area or just stateside, what it looks like. So you ta- you mentioned the, the Starbucks conversation with the lady at North Park Mall and, and leaving and being like, I can't unknow this information. I have to do something about it. And something inside of you compelled you to, hey, this burdens my heart. I, I need to do something about it. And without going into too much detail or whatever you feel comfortable sharing, but what is that information that you just can't unknow so that we can be aware of what's going on right beside us? Yeah, that's a good question. And I'll say it's hard to hear. Yeah. Um, it's hard to hear. And sometimes I say the Debbie Downer in every conversation because it's like, don't ask me what I do. Now you're going to know right. and you might not sleep tonight. Okay. <laughs> uh, but no, I, so the way this, the way this looks, the, the, the most vivid way I can help explain what's going on is right here in Dallas. Let's take a, a there is potentially 400 girls on the street tonight um, or who are being trafficked here tonight per one research. You really don't know the number, but let's just say 400 girls. Okay. So you take one of them, let's say her average age is 15, 16. Um, she may be being controlled by um, a pimp or a trafficker, what's known as that. And let's say she has a thousand dollar quota. And so this trafficker tells her, you need to make a thousand dollars today. And uh, we're going to set up, set up your, um, your dates is what they call them. And so what's going to happen is that 15 year old girl is going to have to have sex with um, a handful of different sex buyers who may come through a hotel hotel room or apartment um, during the day. And she's going to continue servicing quote unquote um, sex buyers until she makes her quota. Um, and she you may get a creep. It depends on kind of what the what the situation is, and then she's going to go right back at it the next day. And so, when you start thinking about, um, you know, let's just say it's seven johns per day. I don't know if you can do some math, but seven johns per day for this fifteen-year-old girl. Um, let's just say times five days in a week, or really, set, let's just take seven times seven because that's easy. Seven sex pairs per day for seven days. We're talking about 49 potentially different rapes, child rapes that have happened to that 15-year-old girl in the course of one week. Mm. So this is what's happening at a crazy pace across our communities. It's in every community. Um, It just looks a little bit different, but this is is what you can't unknow. Mm. It's so hard to to hear that. And I want to know what we can do about it. And your philosophy, Lindsay, I, I know personally, and then with the organization is that free people, free people. So can you kind of explain that after we know this is the terrible thing that's going on right beside us? What do we do about it? And how can we lean into this idea that free people do free people? Yeah, well, you know, we're just passionate about freedom in general. And it's not just it's not just physical freedom. You know, we're here to free youth from sex trafficking, but, but this is 
that's that's just physical freedom. What we want right. to talk about is what what is freedom? What's freedom mentally, emotionally, spiritually, you know, um, in our lives? And I think this is this really has just been my own journey of what I've learned when I've been the most effective in serving some of the survivors I've worked with. It's because I recognize my shared humanity. It's because I went to counseling and still do years and years and years. And I'm not sitting across from a girl telling her she needs to get her life together and I'm not getting my life together. Like we are all on this journey. We're broken, you know, broken souls together on this journey. And so I think that it's just been this realization of, you know, to the extent that let's just take our team, for example, our traffic 911 team accepts the ongoing journey of freedom will be the extent that we can help others be free. And, um, and we just believe it. I don't, I don't believe we're these, you know, saviors, these, these martyrdom kind of things like, Oh, let me, let me help you up. Let me tell you what we need. We, we want to journey alongside someone and, and ensure that they know, like we have our own brokenness we're working through. We have our own story. It does. I, my story doesn't look like yours, but uh, I have a story too. And, um, and so it's just this idea of continual um, acceptance on the freedom journey that we believe is going to be the most impactful way to help journey alongside others in their freedom. Yeah. And you mentioned in there, your stories that I am no less broken than you, or I'm no less broken than the person next to me. And I think story, your personal story and just the human story in general has immense power to move people and move the hearts of people. And I'm sure to connect with people as well. So when you're, you're meeting with someone with a, with a victim that has has been welcomed into your program, how do you use story to connect uh, with them? Or, Or how is the power of story used in those moments? Man, it's it's nuanced. There's right. definitely not a, a one size fits all. I I think what happens is it's it's more natural than ever if we truly do if we truly do meet someone from the point of I want to build trust. Um, if I want to build trust with you, Zach, then I want to share part of my story with you because it's just mm-hmm. sort of the natural way that you learn about me and that we build trust and that you can see like, hey, I want to open up and be vulnerable to you too. I'm not asking you to do something that I'm not willing to do. So it looks a little bit different depending on the situation because we have boundaries. Obviously, we want to keep in place. We're not going to tell these girls our whole life story. And in fact, that can be really harmful when they're just trying to carry their own weight. And oh, let me let me give you my weight to add right. on to I don't even know how to recover from. So I think that's why it's nuanced. We're meeting them where they are and assessing, like it could be as simple as, um, you know, maybe something is brought up about her parents or her dad or something like that. And I say, you know what, I, I've really struggled with my relationship with my dad in my Mm. life too. So I kind of, I kind of know what that looks like. So it's just, it's those little nuggets like that, um, until trust is built over time. And then, you know, usually what happens in a relationship is someone asks you, like one of the girls might ask you like, so, so tell me more about you, you know, or what, what was your childhood like or something like that. And so I do think it happens more naturally than we know, because it is the way you build trust in a relationship. 
Right. And I think building trust is so, well, I know building trust is so important in these sort of relationships as well, but I, I, I was reading on y'all's website or it might've been what Rachel sent me as well about how hard it is for some of these girls to realize that this was wrong or because they've been groomed or they've been in this system and they, they're thought to believe that it was either their choice or they're, they're in there for, for different reasons. So what does that look like to get them out of that mindset well, by building trust and, and being able to say, hey, this it doesn't have to define your life? It is a long journey. Mm-hmm. Um, depending on their story and where they've come from, it is a long-term journey. Right. Um, and so, because, you know, you think about how much they've been um, sort of trust has been broken in relationship. And this is why we believe we can only build relationships through the lens of trust. Imagine the girl, the 15 year old girl I mentioned earlier, man, imagine trying to trust humanity when this is what you experienced. Hmm. So here we are coming in being like, you know, trust us, there's a better way. Um, you know, do these things when it's like, this, you know, humanity has taught her nothing, nothing separate. I mean, totally opposite than that. And so, um, I think it, it really is, you know, okay, if we can, if we can help build trust with her, then hopefully this next time she maybe goes to a foster home or goes to a drug treatment, maybe she won't feel as alone because she has me to call and, um, someone to lean back on. And so, Journey after journey, like month after month, year after year, that is built and and they begin to believe in themselves. And I think it's it's a matter of identity in that if they've if the I mean, ninety percent of the time they've been abused in their own home before the trafficking even began. And so um, if that's what you're up against and the identity has never been spoken over you, then that, you know, that's going to take a while to, um, really soak in right. and rewire that brain. And so it takes consistency, um, in their lives. And a lot of times, uh, they end up being re-trafficked back and forth, back and forth. I mean, we have girls recovered five, 12 times re-recovered and right. guess what? We're going to meet them every time right back there. And we're going to journey. So we may go four steps forward and three still forward. Right. right? And so that's what that looks and, and so it takes a while, but, um, yeah, we're here for it. Yeah. And I think that consistency is so important and being a constant person in their life and saying, and, and speaking truth to them as well. And I think this is an issue that yeah. if you're a decent person, if you're a good person, you can all get behind and we can all come together and say, this is a problem. This is something that needs to change and needs to be fixed, but it's not that easy. So I want to ask you how business leaders, how ministry leaders, how people in our community can come together and say, hey, we're not going to stand up for the exploitation of vulnerability. We're going to stand up for the, the, less, um, the people among us who can't stand up for themselves. So what does it look like for, for business leaders, for ministry leaders, the people in the government to say, this is a problem. We're going to stop. What needs to happen? Yeah. Well, it's a big question. It really is. Um, the, the truth is it's a community issue. So it's only going to be solved on the community level. Now we know that there's some systemic impact that, that we work on, but as far as our community goes, we know to the extent that a community steps up is going to be the extent that that healing be- begins um, with this with this issue, and so you know I I do think I can't 
I can't stress enough the importance of, of becoming informed, of just mm-hmm. doing your research, understanding. I, I talked to so many well-meaning leaders or business people who like, we started this thing. We, we did this. We, we're starting a nonprofit or we're starting a foundation for this. And it's like, do you know how many groups and other things are out there that might be 10 years further than you on this right. issue that you could potentially <laughs> collaborate with. Yeah. And so that's part of that learning and becoming informed is traverse the landscape. Understand if you want to understand sex trafficking, find out who's, who's in your community, who's, who's, who's doing what so that you could go have lunch with them and just learn, um, learn what are the barriers? What are some of the biggest, um, issues that we're seeing? I love, I mean, I had lunch with someone, this incredible business leader. He had emailed me and was like, Hey, I want to come learn from you guys. And we just sat and had lunch last week and he just asked us a bunch of questions. And I was like, what are your biggest barriers? Um, who else is, who else is doing something here? What is law enforcement doing in this city. And so I appreciated that so much. Um, we have, we've, we've begun some business and ministry partnerships here at traffic nine one, just to say like, Hey, here's some best practice you can do as a ministry. And here's how you, you can support us. Um, if you don't have a direct service that would relate to our, our survivors, but some people do. I mean, we had the most amazing, um, connection a couple years ago with one of our directors, um, was connected with a doctor at her church and this doctor and his wife owned a family practice, um, here in North Texas. Um, and we're just really good people and really willing to learn. And now they see a lot of our clients pro bono. Like they host us a, a clinic every Saturday. Right. They do all of their prescriptions, all of their meds, all of their checkups. And this is a business who is, you know, um, not, not having a lot of profit on that day, obviously. And, um, have, has chosen to say like, what can we do, you know, for these survivors and we need dentists and, um, you know, all these different people that can play a part. But even if a business doesn't directly connect like that and make a pledge for your business, like here's how we're going to operate to ensure that we're not, um, accidentally or maybe, um, intentionally, um, kind of driving this issue of trafficking. Yeah. I mean, I think it's so important for people to come together, whether it's having a leg in the business or having some part of, of being able to help in this cause. And I think that's just the heart of leadership too. I think great leaders stand up for the vulnerable and stand up for those who can't stand up for themselves. And this is one avenue that we're able to do that and how leaders will be able to stand up. And I think the leaders who stand the test of time and when we look back and say, these are the greats among them were the ones who stood up for the, the vulnerable and stood up. And so I think looking at traffic 911 and history will speak well of your organization and of you as a leader for standing up for people mm-hmm. who can't always stand up for themselves. But I want to ask you one more question, Lindsay, as we, as we close, uh, what advice would you give to your 20 year old self? I, I realize it was only a year or two ago, but what advice would you tell ah. your 20 year old self? I love that question. I am 36 now. Um, and I would say, um, I really do think it's two words and it's the most important words I've learned. Um, and it's love yourself. Um, I would say in my twenties, if there's one testimony I have about my twenties, it was that I didn't love myself. Um, and I, I think back in so many ways because 
if I truly loved myself, I would have been, you know, a little bit more courageous to, to, I guess, own the spaces I was in or the places God was, the doors God was open myself back so much because I was insecure because I think I could do it or I didn't believe in myself. And, and so I think that that's the biggest thing. I, I, I think that until we love ourselves, we can't be good leaders. Um, we can't, we can't do what God's called us to do in our calling, um, until we, we really do believe in who we are, um, and who are, what we we were created to do. So, yeah, I, I think that that's the big one. I'm still learning. I, yeah, I, I haven't no, totally. fully, um, grabbed the hold of it yet, but yeah. I'm aware, you know, looking back and thinking through my twenties, I think that that's what held me back is right. that I did not believe in myself. And even just showing yourself grace. Cause I think a lot of people who are high ambition, people are hard on themselves whenever they fail. But once you're able to show yourself grace, you're able to show others grace. And if you want to lead other people, you've got to be able to lead yourself. And so I think that speaks so well to where you are. And even the ministry that you have now is that if you are able to love yourself and love the way that the Lord made you, you're able to love those around you. But Lindsay, thank you so much for uh, your time and for your wisdom. Uh, we hope we take it. And how can we get involved with your organization? How can we help you all out or volunteer? Give us some information on traffic. Yeah, and- yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely um, go follow us on social media outlet. Yeah. And um, I would say we have, have volunteers. If you're here in the DFW area, we have our next volunteer orientation every quarter. So um, hop on our our website, learn about what our volunteer opportunities are. There's something for everyone. And at our orientations, a lot of times we'll connect you with even other organizations that are doing things because we're not the one size fits all. We're, we're yeah. one piece of the bigger puzzle of anti-trafficking work. And so um, we want you to get involved, but definitely hop on our website. There's so many resources and things you can read and learn and opportunities for volunteering. So well, I would encourage you to do that. That's a wonderful organization. And Lindsay would be a wonderful person to work with and for. Uh, so thank you so much for your time. And we appreciate it more than you know. Thank you for having me. It's an honor.